We lost everything. Started from zero. We didn't have a single asset to our name. We have no career. We're at dead zero right now. We're starting fresh. And you need to make your first million bucks. My focus would be on mentorship. Try to bring them an opportunity that also create an opportunity for myself. You want to have people around you that are challenging you and, and building each other up together, kind of at the same state as you might be in. You also need people who are maybe five years ahead of you. But for something like this, you should kind of have like your stretch mentor. But you need to find someone that whatever your aspiration is, a mentor should be 10 times that. When, when, when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich All right, habits. welcome to another episode of the Master Keys Podcast. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And we are Atlanta Canada's number one <laughs> real estate investing podcast. Undefeated, unchallenged also. Yes. Uh, dominating, either way. But what's this podcast about? I mean, it's all about investing in real estate and growing your wealth. Um, we come from a perspective, as you know, we're real estate agents, we're investors ourselves. The team, I think, is around $500 million now that we've sold uh, throughout yep. our careers. And between the two of us, we own a couple hundred real estate uh, or rental properties, I should say. So we talk about the news, we talk about investing, we talk about what we've learned, mistakes we've made, we learn from you guys. As always, post your comments down below. Uh, and we're just trying to build this community, so it's growing every episode. We appreciate you so much. A little reminder, if you're watching this right now, maybe throw it up on your social medias that you're watching or you're listening to this because it makes a huge difference. And tag us in it, please, so we can shout you out uh, on our end of things. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. So before, like, to hop into it, I don't, we don't have this hop written down. In. We're hopping in. One crazy story that happened this week. You're asking me one? Yeah. Ooh, one crazy story that happened that this crazy, week. But what happened this week? Like as a landlord? As a landlord, are you as an agent. No, I'm actually, oh, oh, I just said this okay, and now okay, I'm like, okay, hmm. Okay. Hmm. Uh, oh man, crazy thing happened this week. Ooh, Too many fights. No fights, no issues with tenants. It's just been like the slow drip of stuff. You know, have to cock a tub here. A door came off the hinges there. Uh, leaky washing machine is this in your hose. personal house or is this in the apartment? These are all the rentals, right? Like it all comes up one thing after another after another. Um, dealing with some turnover. Um, have one building, 10 of 12 units empty, as we know. So that's that's good. Starting demo on that. So nothing crazy, I suppose. I am close to getting my next construction draw, or should I say first construction draw? Because one thing we've talked about on here is that in. I've always stubbornly just used my own money and refinanced at the end. Um and then the, now I'm doing this project where I'm actually doing going to have uh, three construction phases for that eight unit to get it completed, and I should have that financed next week, which will be nice. I'll pay myself pay myself back the work as you're finishing the work. <laughs> yeah, basically. So uh, it'll be nice to have that. But no, what about you? I know. Well, now that I said it, I'm like, oh shit, I need to have a story. Um, nothing really too crazy. I got in some fights, uh, not actual physical fights, but I feel like verbal altercations are, are pretty standard. Oh, with the agents uh, or with clients? All of the, all of the all above. Of the above. Um, agents, tenants, Trying to clients. think what, which ones I can say and which ones I can't say. This was an interesting one that happened and I'm not ragging on anyone in specific, but I went to go meet with, um, a client, a friend who, and he owns a building. So I just drove up to the building, just parking out back. I went and parked uh -huh. yep. and like, as I'm walking up to the building, I'm on the phone and someone just starts screaming at me. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, excuse me, by excuse name? me, excuse me. Okay. And I'm like, no, not by name. And I'm like, what's up? And they're like, I, like, you can't park there. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it doesn't say anything that I can't park there. And he's like, you're not allowed to park there. And I'm like, is it your parking spot? No, it's not. It's my building. And I'm like, that's really odd because I'm meeting with the building owner right now. And it's, Ooh, I love that. And then he went full insane. He's like, you can't park there. And I'm like, but it's not your building or your parking spot. 
And he was just like policing this for no reason. I'm like, like what is the objective here? And he went nuts. And I, I just, did, I was like, nah, sorry, sir. If it was your parking spot, I can move. If it's your building and you're asking me to move, I can move. But since neither of those things, I cannot move. Yeah, I just always, I've, I've had that too. And people are like, oh, there's actually no parking there. I'm like, I know. I'm just going to take my chances though. And I just <laughs> walk away. It's like, well, let's, let's just see how this plays out. You're not going to do anything about it. But anyways, it's not crazy, but I just don't, I don't know what the motivation is a lot of the time when people, like I get, those people are weird, man. Yeah, I just and why they would get so mad. I'm like, why is this the thing that you're taking on today to just come out and start screaming at me? Also, on and the lying, side, like though, just blatantly lying in multiple different ways. Yeah, if it was my building and uh, someone was incorrectly parked and another ten- tenant stepped up and told them to not park there, I'd be like, appreciate that, man. Totally, 100. percent But it's neither his building nor he wasn't even a tenant of the building. He lived in the building next door. Oh man, so he really didn't have a dog in that fight. But yeah. Anyways, I, I just uh, I just thought of that because I asked you the question and then I was like, shit, I got to respond to this too. Yeah, no, no news is good news, right? Like nothing too crazy. We're here. This is crazy. By the time this airs, it's going to be what a month and a half until Christmas. Not even. Yeah. Like, we're coming to the end of the year, I, I so freaking out. Ask yourself, have you had a successful year? It's that time. The reckoning, the annual reckoning is upon us. I always take stock this time of year of like, okay, how was the year? We're going to talk a lot about that when we get into our end of year wrap up and our New Year's Eve special. Uh, But for today, what we're going to talk about, um, our main topic in the second half kind of of this episode is this thing that you've seen going around on social media. What's that? About like, if you lost everything. Yes. We we, we saw a trend that's going around social media, which is if you lost everything today, how would you start again to make your first million bucks? So Chandler and I thought about it and came up with some ideas ourselves. We actually have differing opinions on this. So okay. be interested to see, know what uh, is, but. see what you say. Um, and then also we have some interesting news regarding, obviously, house prices. Everybody wants to know what's going on there kind of yeah. across the globe. Um, some news on more tenant and landlord disputes. Oh, yeah. I have some interesting stuff going on in the VR world because I feel like it's getting more and more relevant and more involved in today's... And more appealing. And more appealing. And then also some yeah. stuff on the metaverse. There's no inflation in the metaverse. We haven't touched on the metaverse recently. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking it down the tech path today. All right. Uh, and I'm going to start here. Well, actually, let, let's start right here uh, near home. So I'm going to fire some stats out. Uh, the numbers were released uh, for last month here in Nova Scotia and, and Halifax. That's where we're based, for anyone curious. Um, so prices have gone back up across Nova Scotia. This is actually a nice change where pricing is up for the month. There had been this kind of slow drip uh, of prices downward. Uh, and they're up almost 2% to 386000 for the province. A lot of people in other provinces are going to hear that average number and be like, oh my God, Nova Scotia is cheap. <laughs> uh, and we are relatively affordable compared to the rest of the country. But realize that runs a pretty wide spectrum from you know what houses would cost here in Halifax uh, versus what they may cost in Cape Breton Some or, very or small certain communities. other areas. Yeah, so um, up to an average price of 386 uh, from 379 in September. But overall, Nova Scotia is down 16% from the peak of April, which was at 462000 So even at the height of the craziness, uh, most of that, again, driven by Halifax, um, the province Wow, we're down from 462 to 389 uh, 386 386 sorry? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty significant. 20%. Yeah, uh, but year over year... Uh, the province is still up 5.7%, and Halifax is still up almost 8% year over year. So even when there was that big gain and a lot of give back since, we've sort of talked about this before, that um, home prices are still you know, 8% more expensive here in Halifax than they were 12 months ago. So still a lot of equity, a lot of strength there, um, you know, especially for people who maybe were fortunate enough to purchase before the biggest of the run-ups. 
I'm going to respond to this with one of the news pieces that I brought for today. And this is that more on a Canada scale, Canada had the largest price drop across, again, the whole country in Q2 of all the G7 countries, right? So this oh, is really? like, yeah, mm. Japan, France, Germany, uh, USA, Canada, these countries. Canada faced the largest price drop in Q2, which was an average of 4.3%. Wow. Um, followed yeah. by Japan at 2.7%. Uh, and then France and Germany at 07 and 0.6%. The crazier part for me was the states in Q2 averaged to be up by 4.7%. So yeah. as Canada was down and the states were up 4.7%, the only other country was Germany, up 0.2%, which realistically is, is flat. flat. Yeah. Um, the other thing to consider, and what everyone's saying this is pointing to, is that Canada's actually the one in the housing bubble. When you look at the charts of the G7, almost all of them followed the same, the same line of price appreciation. Canada actually went up a fair bit more uh, to the tune of actually 42% over the course of the pandemic, with the next person in line being the States at 24%. Counterpoint to that, though, um, compared to those other countries, we have two major cities by those country standards. 100%. Right? We have two major cities. 100%. Those countries will have, you know, dozens Yep. Of major cities, so you end up. They all have way higher populations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think we are more prone to the extremes. Like our, our our outliers are literally two cities and then the rest of the country. I think if you took Vancouver and Toronto out of that, I think we'd be much more in line with those others. But it is interesting to hear that about the states because I had another number where um, the entire housing population, homeowners in the U.S lost a total of $1.3 trillion uh, worth of, of net worth, of equity worth, yeah. um, in last quarter alone. Which, honestly, I was like, doesn't sound that bad. It worked out to be about 30000 Is that 30K a person? Yeah, about 30000 per homeowner. Um, which is not insignificant, but again, it's interesting to hear your stats that the overall pricing is up because that means some people in certain markets are benefiting and then some are getting absolutely hammered. Um, so it, it's hard when you when you try to take a, a wide population and then come up with these averages. One hundred percent. I think yeah, Canada is definitely the smallest in the G seven. Um, it's just like I'll show you this chart. Like it's it's pretty dramatic. But I'm with you that Toronto and Vancouver are like driving. Look at us go. Yeah, <laughs> are driving factors uh, for this this price growth. But it was still just insane to see. It was also I found really interesting because I've had more hmm. concern about the states being beat down and oddly enough the states have kind of continued to move along but that's q2 i think right now things have changed down there um and there's definitely some concerns yeah and their inflation numbers actually come out tomorrow which will be last week by the time this airs um and there's some concern about where those inflation numbers are they are ahead of us um in a bad way i guess in terms of inflation i think it's running around like eight and a half still for them there and there's optimism that it'll be lower here with this announcement, but but we'll see. Uh, and then hot on the heels of that will probably be another 75-point uh, interest rate hike. But anyway, um, that's just some stats of what's going on there. Um, I've got some stuff specific to Toronto that I found pretty... Messed me up. I love some good Toronto stuff. I love some Toronto stuff. So Herb Nation... I, I want to Herb take Nation, y'all. What's up? Herb Nation. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, of course, I do subscribe to. I was going to say, you follow um, that pretty closely, right? <laughs> uh, they released a study, or, or they had a report, or whatever you want to call it, that in order to afford the average price $730,000 condo in Toronto, you need to be making $135,000 a year. Um, which... That's it? 
Yeah, that seemed like they were undershooting it. The, okay, I'm about to go on a little tangent on the side. I've been getting into this battle with a bunch of other people, but there are more preferable and favorable banking options in Ontario. They that have different true. banking rules, and they, they test at different rates, and they also offer cheaper rates because they have more volume, and it's considered a stronger market. I was having this conversation with somebody that works here as a developer here in Halifax, and like that's not the case. And I'm like, man, when I call all of them to give me rate quotes, they are better than what I'm getting quoted here. The other thing is, I've talked to bankers here. They said in Atlantic Canada, because there's less competition, they charge a larger spread. Yeah, I wouldn't they're doing that They're doing less volume, and they yeah. just charge a larger spread, so they're more profitable here on a percentage basis, but actually as a dollar amount, they're obviously infinitely more profitable in Ontario because they're lending out so much more money. Yeah. But they make more per dollar. There's also be way more alternative lenders or whatever you want to call it, private yeah. lenders. Private institutions. But, but small-scale banking institutions of, of some sort. Yeah, um, anyways, I cut you off. Continue, sorry. No, I, it, it's it's a good point. I, I thought that was ridiculous. I don't know any world in which you could afford that condo right now. Uh, but there was also this caveat in there it's, um, saying, and or have really rich parents. <laughs> as part of that because a lot of the people even being able to afford that also somehow miraculously have these gigantic down payments. Yeah, 200 grand down. Um, so I thought that was kind of a funny uh, number because it didn't seem feasible whatsoever. But then there's this thing like, oh, and of course your parents are going to help you, which is just this implied reality for a lot of people who buy in Toronto and Vancouver, which is why, and we talked about this in a previous episode, so many of them are saying, I can't do it. I'm leaving. 100%. Right? It's weird because one rule of thumb that I used to use when rates were 3% range was $20,000 of income gets you about $100,000 worth of money. Right. Now that rates are up so much, it's more like probably $30,000 of income gets you $100,000 of money. Yeah. So based on that, I would expect these people to come in at four hundred and fifty k for their pre-approval. Yeah. Whereas before, I would have expected them to come in at seven hundred dollars for their pre-approval. Yeah. Um, so like... Yeah, I'm very surprised that they're saying, especially because there's condo fees too. Like, if if someone came to me two years ago and said I make 150 grand a year and I want to buy a condo, I'd say let's look at something for 600. Yeah, I don't know how now with these rates up, they're being like, yeah, you make 135k, you want a million dollar house, we got you. Yeah, I mean, I guess either way, the 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 conversation then goes to one, um, why is that the price point? Two, how crazy is it that even making that sort of money, you can't afford a condo? Uh, there, um, and how much worse is going to get, and all these other things. But um, the rents also in Toronto are up five hundred dollars year over year. We talked a little bit about rents in the last episodes. Major centers still doing uh, very very well. You had some theories about surrounding areas a little bit maybe coming back down, stuff like that. But at least year over year, rental rates in Toronto are up five hundred bucks, which is not going to come as a surprise to anyone. Um, but another thing that's been circulating a lot, and I wish somewhere we can dig up the old episode where we talked about pre construction. And we talked about this a couple times since, mm-hmm. but you remember you weren't there, and I I came in right after we recorded an episode right after this group came from Toronto trying to sell precon oh, uh, yes. to the agents in yes. the office. Yes, have you ever looked at that? I have, and I was actually going to bring it up on our last episode, but we ran out of time. Um, I've looked at the precon because, like, again, Ontario, like they do so much now to sell because it's such a competitive market. They'll be like, brand new development district, going to be done in two years. We guarantee you, you give us 10% now, 10% in six months, 10%, like, and you do it all the way up. I think it's 5% because you ultimately put in 25% or 20% uh, prior to closing. Um, and then we offer you five years guaranteed rate of return with rentals and stabilization and all this. So they make it sound so good. They're like, they have it all uh, calculated out and they're like, you're going to make an average of 8.7% on your money. You're going to end up with a condo. 
if you assume no appreciation, any appreciation you make is going to be a bonus. And all you got to do today is put down 2%. And, and so I've looked at them many, many times. I've looked at them in BC as well because the projections, I was looking at towns outside of Vancouver along the northern coast, and the projections were insane. They were like wood frame condos in these little like ski surf towns. And they were like, you'll make 13% a year for the next three years. It includes property management. It includes yeah, those are all sort of the like these weird timeshare almost setups. No, no, but, but I know. It, but it's, it's a like, condo. Yeah, yeah. It's not even yeah. like, it, like you own the condo, but they're including with your condo purchase, they include property management for three years and yeah. a guaranteed rental rate. Yeah. They say, we guarantee you 2100 bucks a month for the three years after this. Yeah. Um, and like, part of me, I was like, I was, I was like, this is too good. I remember talking to a couple of guys in the office and I'm like, well, maybe I'll lob down like the 20K on one of these now. And then every six months, I just got to put down another 20 grand over the next three years. I get my down payment together of $150,000 and I end up with the property. And there's all this potential that when I close and I, I paid 600 contract price, potentially by close, it's worth 800. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then I just rent, rent, they'll yeah. rent it out. Yeah. The the former option, though, which is the sell it before it even closes, is the big pitch, right? Where it's like, listen, you might tie up 60, 80, maybe $100,000 over the course of this development in installment payments towards buying this hypothetical unit. Uh, and it may take four years to that for that unit to be complete. But you are going to be in it for a relatively small amount. And in the four years, you could sell it at some point to an actual buyer uh, for a significantly inflated price. And that was the big pitch that these companies were making. The challenge is, um, I've got the numbers numbers here, there are 31,000 pre-construction units set to be complete in 2023 in Toronto. That's insane. 19,000 of them are set to be complete in the first six months. How's that going to go when these people won? Um, did they buy early enough, and is there enough of a spread for um, them to sell and make a profit. Yep. And then it's like, okay, if there is just sheer buyer demand, is there enough for all of the people to sell? Uh, because at some point it becomes a race to the bottom or increasingly people need to keep them. And then there's a challenge of, well, what about the people who you never really had the pressure to actually close? As long as you were okay with your down payment, you didn't need proof of financing. It was four years away in some cases. Yeah. So what if it comes due here and you don't actually qualify for that mortgage? Or you have the rates 20 of them that you bought. Yeah, or, or you did this on a number of them. It's going to be a little bit dicey here. I'm in total agreement. And this is why I wanted to bring it up on the last episode. Again, we ran out of time. But the one thing that they do to mitigate this, because I think they've been through these issues before. And this is where I'm like, oh, it's kind of smart. Not to this degree, though. but Not maybe yeah. to this degree, but they do these staged down payments. And this way, the down payment actually accumulates to be 20 or 25%. Right. So technically, they should be able to qualify you for some sort of mortgage to close. Uh, and you'll see what you'll see with a lot of them is builders will do mortgages to close. So the builder who built right. the condo will be like, I'll give you the 75%. I'm going to yeah. hold your 25% until the market turns around and you can sell this thing. I mean, they did it here locally with a building. But again, like, are there units. enough builders who can do that for all of like that many units? And I mean, it's, I, it's oddly enough, I, I actually have a bit of strength in the fact that I think Toronto will be able to pull through. The other thing I think is going to happen is people will sell. Like I put in, like people might have to take a loss. Like they put in 20% and they have to sell the condo at 85 or 90 percent of what they paid or yeah or or they just don't get the profit right like maybe maybe it's a bit of a wash or it's a wash there's gonna be other people that do have money that can scoop in say well i'm you know i'm not gonna buy it for the there's a hundred thousand new people percent higher than you bought it for but i'll buy it for what you paid for it 
and if you want to get all your money back, and then I'll have the equity. Maybe I won't sell. It. Maybe I actually will sit on it. But I'm walking into you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity from day one because I can get the mortgage and I can float this. Whereas you can't. You have the equity, um, but you can't qualify it's for the mortgage. It's not worth anything yeah. then. The other thing is, like you said, rental rates are through the roof. So anything, yeah. a lot of these, again, were sold on pretense rental rates, and that's how they qualify, like, the idea of buying them is because, like, you're going to probably get 2100 Well, now they're probably going to get 2600 So there's a lot of people that will want to buy there. And we saw the immigration numbers. There'll probably be another 150,000 people that land in Toronto next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oddly enough, I have this weird faith. The other thing is the loonies, I mean, it had a bit of a bump recently, but loonie overall isn't super strong, and there's potential that uh, external markets are going to look at Canada to invest more money and. These Toronto, BC areas and condos are the way they love to do it. Yeah, I don't think the influx of immigrants is necessarily gonna gonna buoy that up because I just don't think it's the the, the clientele. Because I think most of these were gonna be investments to then be rented um, or something like that. Immigrants but, work together though, man. Um, like a two bedroom, like they'll come in there with three families and buy it. Okay. Uh, no, seriously, yeah, that's yeah, that's what yeah. they do, man. And yeah. they don't necessarily even live in it. They might just go rent it out, yep. but they'll work together as a group and be like, "There's we each qualify for two hundred grand." Let's put it together. They're not afraid at all to do that. Yeah. Um, like we even said they when we talked the about the joint t- venture, <laughs> they invented the JV man. Like yeah. they are the OG JV players. OG so I, I do have. I was. I, I brought up last time because I was like, man, this. I feel like this is gonna be a collapse on all hell. And now as time goes on, I'm just everyone's messaging me like, man, there's so many immigrants coming. Man, Toronto's so strong. Man, rents are up. Like you're you're too pessimistic. And now I'm just like, all right, screw it. You know what? Everything's gonna be fine. If you go to Toronto, put like 15 condos under under contracts. Just do it. Just do it. You'll make all the money back. It's fine. This guy runs hot and cold, man. Yeah, exactly. He's all doom and gloom, and now he's all bull again. Now I'm, I'm bullish. I have um, something under contract, so I'm like super bullish. <laughs> I know. I, it's funny. I saw this article, and I saved it, and then I was like, eh, I don't even bother. But I see it on your list. Wait, which one's this? Oh, well, I, I, I don't want to make it the, this podcast about, like, save the landlord, but I kind of had to when I saw this one. It's a bad one, too. And it is a bad one, and the reason I'm... I'm wrote it down i was actually going to tell you it after we talked about our crazy stories and then i decided not to but i'll stop beating around the bush here i'll just read you the title it's from cbc news man sleeping in his car says tenant owes more than thirty-one thousand dollars and will not leave his rental property ontario government's trying to speed up the tenancy hearings but is struggling to do so the story is this man's name is marco he doesn't give his full name because he's a mortgage broker uh he had two homes he went through a split in his relationship. Yeah. She took one property. He took the other. Since then... Took the wrong one, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do him like that. He's still sleeping in his car, Chandler. <laughs> Sorry. Okay? <laughs> Since January, he has been unable to reclaim his home. Also, the tenants have not paid rent during that time. So he's like, I am Jesus. paying all the housing expenses, the mortgage, the property taxes, everything there... I'm drowning in it, so I can't actually afford to go rent or buy another house. But I do own a home, and I can't get in to my property. Um, and he said he's filed complaints about the, both of the tenants to the landlord board. Um, but because there's a giant backlog from the pandemic, he's just in queue like everybody else. And and he's homeless. Yeah. Right? So, and it, here's these things. Like, everyone wants to be so... You know, binary, you must be all this thing or all another thing. Well, we're all really quick to line up and support unhoused individuals, but everyone also wants to hate landlords. So here's a nice here's a nice uh, uh, paradox or, or whatever it is for, for someone out there who wants to be so ignorant and blind to nuance. Say, okay, you want to hate landlords, 
but what about this unhoused person? Like he's legitimately been unhoused because his private property is being squatted in by someone who is breaking the law, right? Like it's not a criminal offense, but if you, you know, if you break the rules of effectively a squatter in his home, it's a hundred percent a squatter in his home. Um, so whether it's trespassing or it's just even violation of tenancy law, um, you know, and it's caused this person to be homeless. And still there will be people who will just post, like, screw that guy anyway. That serves him right for trying to profiteer off, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I guess he should have made a smart investment. Like, it's not dissimilar to that other story we talked about where someone went through a split, right? Yeah. And, and you know, needed to move back into their private property. We still do have something um, to protect property rights, private property rights in Canada, last I checked. And this is enraging. Yeah. And the fact that this person isn't getting more support because it's the same trolls online just ripping them apart. 100%. He's eight months into this process. He's hired a paralegal and he said all that they've been able to get because there's no ever phone numbers for tenancy board and you can never speak to anyone directly. He said all he's gotten is the automated response emails. Like when you submit a form, they just keep submitting forms, paralegal submitting forms and all they get is automated responses. This is supposed to be a three-month process to be able to reclaim your property. Most people say it's a minimum of a year before you even get close to starting that process. Um, and yeah. I, again, I don't, again, we're not trying to make this a thing about just like feel bad for the landlords because there's lots of stuff going both ways. Um, but I, I think it's good that landlords are starting to speak out a little bit and kind of make their side known as well because it was all tenants for a long time. And that's how I think a lot of these rules and changes kind of landed in place. Yeah. Uh, and so t- landlords need to speak up and be like, hey, we're getting trampled over here. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of smaller people that really can't do much about it. And if we can get to a situation where, an injustice like this, which happens to be at the expense of the landlord, can be remedied in a timely fashion, then the same will be true for any tenants who are being mistreated. So a strong tenancy board that is fast, that has authority, that that can penalize violators, is what everyone wants, both landlords and tenants. It's for the good of both sides. Um, So when you see something like this going on, it's important that regardless if you're a landlord or a tenant, you advocate for what's right and what's wrong and for an efficient tenancy board in your area. Try not to be so biased. What's that? Try not to be Try so biased. Try not to be so biased, man. I, I so have dumb. one, this is a bit of an aside, but I have one client who is basically like, well, if tenancy board is not going to help out or kind of work with me, I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. And I'm not going to yeah. get super explicit on what he's done, but he's always gotten his units back. Um, whether it means going and visiting the tenants uh, quite abruptly or literally just removing doors, windows, and heating systems um, and turning them into effectively like uninhabitable spaces. And yeah. he's like, they don't pay rent. They don't leave. They don't follow any of the rules. I'm not going to follow any of the rules. Yeah, it becomes, it, it erodes into vigilantism or whatever you want to call it um, on both sides. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just terrible. But what else you got? Well, let's switch it up. Oh, okay. From the real world oh, God, here we to go. Chandler's favorite place. The VR world. I wish I had a headset right now so I could. Chandler's gonna try one out. If anyone's <laughs> try one out, let us know what you thought. I think Halifax used to have a VR gaming spot. I don't oh, know if yeah. they do anymore, do they? I think it might be gone now. Um, there's one. Yeah, there's one in Gottingen. Really? Is there one now in Gottingen? Yeah. So know. we should try. We should try and do a, a day down there. Um, Palladium's oh, got Palladium it too. Does? Everyone's got it. Chandler's gonna have it soon. You watch one of the one of the kids. You're like. No, it's what not you, What do you ask Santa for? And he's gonna I be like, like reality. Oculus Rift. I'm still set on this world. I still have faith in this world. Okay, before I get into this, I want to talk about what I saw that I thought, two okay. things I saw about VR that might kind of change your mind. One, okay. I think it's going to be 
very much they're gonna be very polar so one i saw was a water slide vr so okay. it's a water slide park and they strap a, um, a waterproof vr headset onto you and you go down the slide and it's like you're in a like when you're watching it's like they have diff- three different options i think it's a fighter pilot pilot um a dragon and some other like superman thing but just imagine the feeling that you get when you're going down a water slide but now if you have this headset on so you can't see your surroundings all you can see is that you're in a fighter pilot cockpit seat you would get the feeling of the g-forces and like kind of flying around as you're going down it would actually so you pro- go down an actual water slide it's an actual water slide you're in an actual water slide on the tube flying along with the vr headset on this is Man. actually going on i think it's in georgia there's a water park in georgia that does this but imagine how cool that would feel like because like because the biggest we're, thing we're so spoiled it's like this water slide's a little boring well, also to put it out there, how crazy the water slide is, is they converted like a Boeing 747 and the water slide comes out of the side of the Boeing 747. This is a water park in, in, in Georgia. So the water park's insane America. to begin with. America. <laughs> Big America. Oh my but God. imagine strapping on this headset. I think that'd be very cool because the few times I've used them, the one thing that kind of lacks sometimes is your motion doesn't match what you're visually seeing. Right. Uh, if, it, if it's like an action thing. And so this would give you that feeling of flying. And what it does is it picks or riding up, a dragon. Or <laughs> haven't done that before. Like, uh, it picks up it picks up the surroundings around you, so it matches your your speed and the way that the plane of the dragon moves based on where the where you are inside the the, the pipe. How does it work when I go down the water slide? It's like, uh, 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 <laughs> and I'm stuck going slow. The dragon stalls out midair and collapses. Well, I still feel the wedgie of my bathing suit. Can <laughs> <laughs> it remove that as well? The other one, and this one, I think is going to kind of blow your mind. The creator of the Oculus Rift, I forgot, I don't have his name here. My girlfriend showed this to me just before I came over. The creator of the Oculus Rift is creating a new headset that would actually kill you. And the idea is, is when you're playing the game, like imagine like imagine the heightened risk. Basically, the idea is, is that I think is that when you're in there playing the game or whatever you're doing, it adds that level of intensity and making it more realistic. And I'm like, this is kind of insane. But I can kind of see some of this taking off, not maybe killing you, not killing you, don't worry, not killing you. Uh-huh. But I can see something inflicting some sort of feedback, whether it be pain or something along those lines, to give you a heightened um, feeling. Because I can, I can already see, like, if I was when I was playing Call of Duty when I was fifteen, if you told me I could put on a suit and wear a headset, feel like I'm an actual soldier, and then feel like a punch in the arm when someone shot me, that would have been sick. Like all I had was a little controller vibrating in my hand. Do you know um, what I mean? So there's actually a show. I think it's it's either on Amazon or it's on Netflix. Um, that I've only watched Black one Mirror. episode of it. No, but it's, it's very Black Mirror esque. Where um, this brother sister, like they kind of go into these VR systems, and I think what they're hinting at is that it's actually going to be real. And and she's testing out a new version, and it it feels more real than it ever ever has before. And increasingly. Um, like she can't leave the the thing at at her discretion. Only like the game can decide when she wants to cut off. And I think it's headed to a place where you know parallel universes or um, that sort of experience. But it is this idea that what happens in the VR is actually going to have real ramifications, both physically uh, making her sick or injured or whatever, but also potentially in the real world. One hundred percent. And I'll, I'm going to read what. So I found the, the details here. It's Palmer Lucky. Some of you guys might know him. He created Oculus, sold to Facebook for two billion dollars. This is what he said about why he's creating the headset. He said, "You instantly raise the stakes to the maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world and the players inside of it." 
And I can see that. Imagine yeah. how intense something would be knowing you could legitimately die. Yeah, but imagine like then you don't even like die in combat like a virtual bus just hits you when you cross the <laughs> sidewalk and like Also the helmet looks kind of messed like we're going to have to flash this up but look that's it's what, like that's going to zap you to death? Is that well, how it works? I'm just like what is this? Is little like blades going to your brain? That's crazy. Not into it. Anyways, what I was actually here to talk about, <laughs> these are just two little asides that I saw after I'm sure once you click on one VR article like all of your all of your yeah, feed like, from there hey, on is this. Go down this rabbit hole. Um, but the World Economic Forum interviewed Mark Rose, the CEO of Avis and Young. For mm-hmm. you, those of you who don't know what Avis and Young is, they're a commercial property broker for leasing and selling uh, or buying commercial, yeah, commercial commercial properties in space yeah. at a very high level. Like we're talking apartment buildings, office towers. They're massive. Yeah, yeah they're massive. Industrial warehouses. They're a very, very big company um, and they're international. And so they were interviewing him about what he thought about the metaverse. And I was curious because I feel like he's probably from a time of like, I sell actual warehouses and office towers. This is stupid. But he was actually very optimistic in feeling that it is the next foreground. Like it is the next space uh, for real estate. Um, and he said it's, it's very exciting that he's seen transactions have been taking place there for a very long time. And there is a ton of value for brands, especially ones that sell products, which is pretty much every brand. Um to gain space and start to create an experience for their customers. And it's a cleaner way to transact. And I like thinking about it a little bit, I was like, I pretty much shop online now. I talk to a lot of people and they shop online for increasingly a larger and larger percentage of what they buy. And like, I find myself, okay, I'm looking at a shirt and like they're doing pretty good at the photos. But if I was in VR, I'd get an even better perspective of what that shirt looked like, how it fit on different people, even how it would look in different scenarios. And so like, there's a lot of opportunity there. His, his kind of, I guess, um, example was Gucci sold a bag on the metaverse for more money than they sell any of their bags for in the real world. And he's like, if this kind of stuff is happening, I know it was a bit of a bubble in that time, but if that kind of stuff's happening, it's here to stay. And he, he genuinely thinks that metaverse real estate will prove to be extremely valuable. Now, again, I think we've talked about it a bunch in the, in the past and, and there's a lot of things to be ironed out, but I'm still super bullish that the metaverse is going to be the place and, and Chandler's going to wear well, a headset all the time. Yeah, I think it's kind of um, an attempt to... It's, it's, it's an attempt at a do-over because in some form or another, um, the internet, the World Wide Web, whatever, is kind of free. Right, like you can set up a domain, and obviously there are things that you can buy through the internet and all that. But the barrier to entry is kind of non-existent. Eighty-nine ninety-nine bells, fiber up internet. Yeah, you get a promo like, for the first three months, then it goes up a lot. So, so the access is is kind of free. Um, obviously, there are these gatekeeper systems, search engine, uh, paywalls, all of this sort of stuff. But I feel like the metaverse is a chance to redo the internet and give it a truly like capitalized component where. Um, rather than having a URL, which has some value, because obviously if you happen to be lucky enough to, lucky enough to have Nike.com, you could have sold it to them for a lot of money. But being able to actually build exclusive space within um, the internet effectively and have that able to hold value is kind of a, a way of rewriting the fact that the internet was sort of given away for free in a lot of ways. Um, and now I'm, I'm worried that it's just going to be a way to monetize the internet under the guise of, oh no, but it's virtual reality now. It's like, well, like you already had a website. You probably could have added just a virtual reality component to your existing website, but now I'm going to have to go through a portal to access 
you know, a paid space. Um, so you're saying basically to, it's a it's more capitalized and controlled exactly. versus the regular internet, internet? It is shockingly for for how uh, the internet's not tangible, but its its impact in our life is tangible. Like it, it is it is the most valuable not real thing, like not physical thing ever in the history of the world uh, in this really abstract way, but it has almost very little individual value. I, I, I'm trying to word this I in think a way I get that makes what you're sense. Saying. The, I, I agree with some portion of it, except for the fact that I think the metaverse needs to be its own, its own thing because that'd be like saying um, the internet was great, like we can go on there and browse for all the different companies, but prior to that each company could have just had its own piece of software so either you would have had 900 programs on your computer because you're like i have the nike program i have yeah. the gucci program so yeah. they they put all of those together in one platform as the internet right so i think to do um a virtual space for each of those websites now would be difficult and i think a lot are trying to do it and a lot of them have their own little spaces but to then to amass all of it onto one system and area be it the metaverse, I think makes sense. Because I feel yeah. like as time goes on here, people are not going to want to be removing and putting on the headsets all the time, right? I think they'll put them on uh, and enter that space and they'll be in that space all the all the time. I guess the cynic in me just says this will be a way to be sold even just access to this space. Because right now, it's more or less, and, and the world, especially the Western world, is trying to trend towards free internet for all. Um like free internet for all isn't necessarily great for a lot of business people out there who want to try to capitalize on the internet. And here's a great way to do it, uh, creating a, effectively a new internet experience that people are going to have to pay to access, I feel. I, I agree and disagree on one other thing is that you look at like video streaming. Every company tried to charge for it. YouTube made it completely free mm. by mixing in some ads and they became the most successful. And I think the new expectation now is everything's free and you make your money by monetizing things within your content or monetizing things that you can sell, right? It's even like content creators now. YouTubers spend as much money per episode on their YouTube channels as TV shows do. But a TV show, you have to pay for cable and you're guaranteed a yeah. certain amount of commercials. YouTubers, you can just click, you can Google any of them and watch all of their stuff for free. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I think the metaverse will be free, but I think it'll be monetized by each space. Like I think there'll be certain spaces you have to pay to enter. Yeah. Um, but I think most most brands will just see like they... It's like all the old brands that didn't invest in a website at first. They're like, we're not doing online sales. And then like, right. whoa, 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 everyone's making a fortune online sales and nobody comes to our store anymore. Now we're doing these super beautiful websites and all these promos to sell online. I feel like it'll be the same for the metaverse. And I think our world has, has this expectation that everything can kind of be freely accessed. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird. I just I again, we haven't it, talked about it a bit. But uh, no, that's interesting to hear that that the space is still evolving because it has kind of taken gone to the back burner with a lot of these things. Um, everyone starts reaching for the scar star, uh, stars and coming up with crazy ideas and spending money on R and D when things are humming along. But I have even noticed, like, look at all the layoffs that are going to be happening in the tech space. We talked about that months months ago, and we were early because the job market's still super strong. But it does seem to be coming, and even. You know, will Meta be still still this enthused to dump millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into this research of this space right now in a shrinking economy? I don't know. I think Meta's going to force their hand here, though. You saw Zuckerberg laid off a bunch of people, but he also cut a ton of leases. And I genuinely believe his new platform is going to be that everyone's going to come in through the metaverse. Or right. if, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to stay on, you're going to come in through the metaverse and you're going to start working and they're going to start pushing it forced to go. Forced adoption. Forced yeah. adoption. 
you know how we're going to start doing it if this podcast actually grows to be big? You'll I'm going to move to the States. In person again. I'm going to move to the States to buy real estate. And then to be able to do this, we're both going to have to throw on a headset. Oh, God. I'll just be here with the camera. Taking it <laughs> old school. Um, listen, we're going to uh, pivot into our main topic, uh, which is about uh, how to make a million bucks if you had to start over again. But first... I wanted to highlight something very real here in the real world because I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, StatCan released their figures on building permits. Yep. And in September, nationally, um, building permits dropped by $10.2 billion across the country. Yeah. Um, so that's down Canadian 17, building costs, what's that, like 300 units? That's down uh, 17.5%. And that includes, like, everything was down across all survey components. So that includes renovations, new construction, residential, commercial, et cetera. Everything was down across the board. Uh, but it's mainly skewed, again, by Ontario. That was down 32%. Uh, here in Nova Scotia, we actually had uh, a big month for building permits. But nationally, down 17.5%. That has to mean something, right? Yeah. I mean, that's thousands and thousands of apartments. That is multiple office towers. That is a shitload of warehousing that is a ton of houses like that is 53 residential projects uh in the greater toronto area alone have been shelved yeah and so they're probably averaging how many units per i'd say probably an average of 200 like they build big big towers so they're they're talking probably about a thousand units a few thousand units in toronto alone because that's multi-res 10,000 250 oh wow yeah sorry my bad my math way off 10,000 units Additionally, then there'll be all single-family homes that also got axed that gets included in that permit price. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of good, I think, in some ways because it's showing the government and that they need to do something to aid in construction because they just can't do it. Like we we cannot build or create housing and make it. It's not even affordable. It's not even like purchasable available. like it's yeah, not even yeah, available yeah, yeah. it's not even at a level that someone could even purchase it doesn't even like even if it's two like okay it's so all clowns are two million dollars then mm. and it's like you know what i mean it's at a point where it's just no one could even get into it um and so hopefully it incentivizes them to change some stuff around housing housing development um and maybe try to eventually create some programs that benefit developers and i think when they do that to basically save face and and help their political campaigns they will create campaigns that maybe help change the public's perception of developers like, hey, look, Ooh, God, you know, Ooh. well, no, because because that's how they get votes, right? Yeah, so if, whatever they do, then they have to get the public to bite into it. So if they're like, like, okay, we're going to drop rates or we're going to give huge incentives to build uh, housing projects, everyone's going to be like, yo, what the hell? Screw the developers. They're a bunch of rich guys. Yep. They'll then, to, to try and say face, be like, look, we need the housing. They'll also create campaigns of explaining kind of like why we need the housing, what benefit developers offer. Like, I think they'll those will go hand in hand. Um, yeah. Now you really are in the imaginary world. Um, <laughs> no, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Like, uh, but this is also the exact same thing that Tim Houston sort of campaigned on. It's like, mm. no, no, we understand where the landlord's coming from, and rent caps just don't make sense. And you know, we Boom, need, three years of rent caps. We, yeah, we need our our landlords to be successful and to thrive and to produce more units. And then when it came time to like being to be popular and, and get votes, he just went for the low hanging fruit uh, that flies and. You know, direct opposition to well, not only what he said, but but sound economics. But um, that's yeah, another. I, I so yeah, I mean, it's concerning. And again, we've talked about just a few episodes ago, and a bunch of you guys have sent to both both of us. It's just like crazy immigration numbers. We've talked about it. 
We've talked about building costs a hundred times. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Not to keep harping on that, but that is crazy to see that that many got cut. Yeah, yeah. So, anything else you want to get into? Uh, you want to outline? No. So yeah, let's outline our our topic of today, and that is if we lost everything, started from zero, we didn't have a single asset to our name, have no career, or at dead zero right now, we're starting fresh. What would we do? How much clean slate? Okay. Okay. Yeah. You have nothing. Nothing left. It's just you, the boys, and Lana. Oh, okay. But you have nothing. Maybe the Alexis that you got smashed up in, uh, <laughs> um, that you got your first down payment from. Um, but uh, yeah, so you have nothing, and you need to make your first million bucks. And now speed's not necessarily the, the thing, but it's about how would you make your first million dollars. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the parameters of the, of the question are kind of a little bit tricky because... Obviously, someone needs a job and needs a roof over their head. So, I'll, depending on how deep you want to go into it, um, okay, fine. You have a job and a roof over your head, okay. but it's a rental roof, so there's no refinancing yeah, okay. that. And the job has you spend 100% of your yeah, income. Okay. Um, and am, am I going first on this? Yes. Okay, on the hot seat. Um, I did take some time to think about it because I've thought about this a number of times myself. I mean, I. I don't want to say I stumbled into a career in real estate sales. It was just the only avenue I knew of, being pretty naive. And, and Nobody grows up wanting to be a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they do now, but um, yeah, once upon a time, it was not the case. Um, I knew I wanted to be involved in real estate. I looked around at my city and saw the people uh, doing the sort of things that I wanted to do were all involved in real estate. I saw my friends who had families involved in real estate, and I thought it was not only exciting, but obviously provided them a good um, livelihood for, for them and, and their families. So I was always interested in it. And then I kind of fell into it backwards through being a real estate agent. And that's, I don't mean that as a, in a disparaging way. Like I, I really enjoy what I do, but at the time that's how I thought I could get into real estate. I was like, I will sell it. And then I will, that will help me buy it. Um, and again, they're just, weren't the same number of resources around that there are today because I hadn't didn't think of things like being a project manager or just like some people you know having no nine to five and just going into flipping houses and how that you know what that would look like that was around as an idea but there wasn't as much information um, it wasn't as easy to access private money that sort of stuff so I sometimes think what would I do differently if I were starting in in today's um, climate so I kind of batted that about in my head, and the thing I landed on is maybe people might think it's a little bit oversimplified, but um, my focus would be on mentorship. And the reason I say that is because when I did come to a conclusion sometimes of all, if I were to change fields, um, because, hey, it wasn't always roses and sunshine for realtors over the last 15 years. There were some times where Very I seriously not. contemplated changing career paths um, in, in challenging markets and, and trying to provide for my family and, and trying to have a quality of life um, that, that I thought about this. And I always said what I would do at the time is I would find the company that most interested me. And there's a couple of big real estate companies here in town. And I would go there and I would, you know, start in the metaphorical mailroom. Not that there's a mailroom anymore, but um, I would start at whatever position they would give me. And then I would bust my butt to, to work up through there. Uh, however, that doesn't necessarily lend itself towards a million bucks. No, nope. um, not in a quick, not in a quick turnaround. Not a quick turnaround. Um, but it, it brought me back to this idea of mentorship, which I'm 
just a huge, huge believer in. And I wish I went out and sought even more mentors still to this day. Um, but my plan would be that I would find a mentor and um, try to bring them an opportunity that also create an opportunity for myself. We said this early on when we started creating this platform. What we wanted to do was to share ideas and we tell people out there that you know there's enough real estate and business to go around that you should be asking people around you, setting up meetings, just picking people's brain because anyone who's genuinely successful they're going to share their knowledge with you because they are big thinkers and a big thinker never um, tries to hoard information or keep other people down because it's just not a, not a mindset towards expansion. So people are usually pretty generous with their time and their knowledge if you hit them up. So th- the thing with looking for a mentor is if you, you want to have people around you that are challenging, uh, challenging you and, and building each other up together kind of at the same state as you might be in. You also need people who are maybe five years ahead of you, right? So you can learn from them and try to turn their five-year growth into maybe a, a two-year timeline. But for something like this, uh, and just in general, you should kind of have like your stretch mentor. You know how you have stretch goals in business? You should have a stretch mentor. And the way I've thought of it, and people who like Grant Cardone will love this, is like find a mentor that is whatever your dream times 10. So if your dream is to own 100 units, you need to talk to someone who owns 1,000 units. Maybe your dream is just own a duplex and and talking to someone who owns 20 units is where you need to be. Um, But you need to find someone that whatever your aspiration is, a mentor should be 10 times that um, because then they will really be able to assist you. The other thing is... 10x. Go to 10x. The other thing is um, a mentor of this type should be able to write a check for whatever your dream is. So coming back to our challenge here, if your dream is to get a million bucks, the mentor that I would be seeking out in this situation would be someone who could write a check for a million dollars. And there are people like that Remember out there. in stages, because if your dream is to get a billion, you're probably not going to get the first guy to be able to write a check for a billion. No. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, I, know you're, I know what you mean. I was bugging find, you. Find someone, um, like if you want to grow to a uh, million dollars net worth and as quick as you, you can with this with this imaginary reset, finding a mentor who conceivably could write that check is a good place to, to look for leadership and, and look f- for influence. So I would find that person, and there are a number of them around town, wherever you are, there is someone in your community, it might surprise you who they are, but there are people out there who do have access to that amount of money. And I don't mean this because then you would ask them for a million dollar check that'd be the easiest way that actually would be yes yeah throw <laughs> yourself in front of their vehicle uh <laughs> watch your head yeah uh, find out if they've got a really attractive son or daughter um <laughs> and marry into that family no but um this is what i would do and i kind of wrote it down here because i was wrapping my head around it so i would find this mentor that is 10x of my dream in this case it's it's someone that's 10x of a million dollars or could write a check for a million dollars and then I would um, effectively volunteer uh, myself, you know, be it to work at their company, um, shadow them, help them in any way I can, uh, and work my way into their business and make myself valuable to their business, either on contract or not. Um, then what I would do is I would get them to define a scalable opportunity that I could bring to them that they would say yes to today which is basically sitting them down and say, hey, listen, if I could find something, like what are you looking for that if I brought it to you, you would buy it today? And they might say, well, you know, 
I'm looking for uh, a hotel at such and such price per door, or you know, if you could find me land right now that I could, as of right, build this. And I'm using real estate examples here, but whatever the equivalent would be in the space, you know, give them something like an offer they couldn't refuse, something that's too good to pass up. Yeah. And I would work with them to make them tell me what that is, right? Because a lot of people they say. Oh, you know, I might be interested in that. I might be interested in this. Like, no, I want to know the thing that if I brought it to you today, you would sign the check today. You would buy that. If that came across your desk, because how many times have you guys, I know a lot of people out there, out, you know, hustling for investors and side money and, and partners and blah, 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 run into people who talk a big game and then the rubber hits the road and all of a sudden they flake, right? So you really need to pin people down, say, if I bring this to you, you would... Uh, you know, and it, and it met the criteria A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever your criteria are. If I brought it to you today, you would say yes to it. And once I've got them pinned down to that, I would channel all of my effort in bringing that to them um, with a component of it that gets me paid, right? So if that's something they say, listen, I'm looking for, I'm going to use a real estate example. I want to buy 40 doors in this area at this price per door. If you bring me that, I don't care about anything else, I will buy it. Right, so then I go out and I would try to find that property, ideally get it for a less price per door, and I get the extra money, uh, or a partnership stake, etc. And this is where the last part of this is that the opportunity needs to include an equity or money for you, uh, and then it has to be a scalable process. And this is something that you kind of did, I think, to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. You prove the model. You know, you found someone willing to take a risk on you that said, listen, if you brought me something here that I could return, you know, 10% on my money inside of 12 months, yeah, I would sign that today. And you prove it with, say, a six unit and then immediately scale that up. It's like, all right, I did it with six units. I can then do the simple math and do it with 40 units. So that's a real long-winded response. Uh, but broken down, it would be kind of a, a 10x mentor, um, an opportunity that they would not refuse if you brought it to them today uh, and then make sure that opportunity uh, would allow for you to get payment in the form of equity or actual cash and then make sure that opportunity is scalable so that once you have success with it once with them, you can go back to them and replicate it and that's how you would scale it. Maybe you make 100000 on the first one or 200000 but by the third or fourth, you could be making a million dollars on one project if you had the right opportunity for them. So to summarize, if you don't have a rich daddy, find a rich daddy. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I guess um, so. One thing I, this is saying that or I... Or mommy. Yeah. <laughs> or mommy. Or mommy. Yes, 100% or mommy. Um, one saying that I've heard, and I've said it on here before, is don't learn how to buy a Rolls Royce from someone who drives a Toyota Corolla. I love that one. And I remember you saying this before. There is, I mean, there is some merit to it, right? Like, I, I learned that... And I don't mean like specifically that because you can finance a car pretty heavily. And there's a lot of times that people who drive Toyota Corollas have more money than somebody who drives a Rolls Royce. Um, Can but confirm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, anyways, like that was, um, but the concept of like, you can't learn how to be like, if you, if you want to be a certain type of person or that per, a specific person, you can't learn to be that person for someone who hasn't done it or isn't there. Mm-hmm. Right, like you, like you said, you need to find that mentor that's in that position. And if you want a million bucks, you better be shooting for ten million bucks at least. Yeah, at least. Um, and the the other thing I want to say with this is, uh, don't have too much pride. Like when you go to work for some of these people, like you literally might have to spit shine shoes to start totally. to gain respect. Yeah. 
because um, I've seen that before where some people's pride sometimes get in the way of being able to do this. So, like, I went to work for him and all he got me to do is make, do some bitch work and run around. And I'm like, you had to, you had to yeah. kind of earn the ability to gain that knowledge. And it's not that they're just so great, but that education, knowledge, and those opportunities that they'll provide you are extremely, extremely valuable. And so you yeah. need to pay respects towards that. It's not like there's some great person that deserves to have their shoes shined, but that education that you want and they have something you want, you got to do what you need to do to get it. And if you can't, if you can't stomach like that, you can keep looking around. But I think a lot of times pride does get in the way. Um, but, and the, the last thing I'm going to add, and I think it, it pertains to what I'm going to talk about as well, is whatever you bring them, if it's an opportunity, real estate's a little more simple. If they say, hey, I want this and you go get it for them, it's a little easier. But if you bring something to them as an opportunity, make sure that you are ultra educated. And there's yeah. pretty much every industry and everything you want to do, you can go online and you can find some resource that'll teach you at least the basics. It'll teach you the the verbiage, the things that you need to know to at least get your head wrapped around a little bit uh, so that you can go and talk to these people on an educated level because that's what they're looking for. Because I can say for somebody in those positions, they get offers all the time, right? Everyone's got an idea like, yo, 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 I got this amazing idea for a cereal dispenser attached to a toilet. And you're like, you know I'd what? I'd never leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, not the worst idea, but do you have the background to be able to make this happen? Um, so anyways, but I, I like I like what you said and I'm, I'm 100% in agreement and to what Chandler said about me doing something similar to this. I did, I think I did less mentoring and I think I did more, uh, I did more of the education and then go out and find the people that could invest in my ideas. Um, and and basically, I became all yeah, basically became all educated and got people who would invest in the idea. But the biggest thing that I would take from that was that if I went looking for a million bucks, I would only ask somebody that had like twenty five or fifty million dollars. Yeah. Because if you ask someone who's got two million dollars for a million bucks, you know not they're not going to cut yeah. you a check for fifty percent of their money. Like no. it, it's just not going to happen. So you got to be able to ask somebody for five percent of their dough or less so that they literally don't even have to think about it um or it's, it's it's a much lower risk for them so anyways that's that's my one take on that um now my my way of doing it i liked the way that i i made my first million to be honest and i would recommend it to a lot of people and i feel like i help a lot of my clients and friends do that um and that that is the concept of either fundraising capital or using your own money to flip forward properties whether it's buy and sell but I like the idea of buying and refinancing because then you're more in control. You have a rental income and it's really easy to build net worth through the equity portion. But I'm not going to give that because it's boring and everybody says I was going to say like your advice is just do exactly what we already no, did No, I was saying that, I'm just explaining <laughs> what I did. And I, yeah, I do, totally. I do yeah. stand by that as a great idea. Oh, 100%. This is more like I thought it was, we're going scorched earth had to start from, exactly. from zero. But I'm saying Maybe scorched no earth. Yeah. I'm saying scorched earth, no down payment. Um... And and no extra expendable income, um, which I mean is probably gonna make this a little bit tough now that I think about that specifically. Um, but I would probably go into short-term renting of items. And now what that Ooh, means is I don't necessarily mean real estate. I mean pretty much anything. It could be a car. So short-term renting, like whatever you have, there is probably a rental market. There is a rental market for electronics. There is a rental market for cars. There is a rental market for trailers. There's a rental market for everything. So if you don't yeah. have extra dough, you say, you know what? I'm going to take the bus this week. I'm going to rent my car in Toronto to make 500 bucks. Or triage other people's stuff. That was my next step. Oh, sorry. That was sorry, my next sorry. step. Sorry. I got excited there. <laughs> yeah, that was my next step. So then, the so the, and to what Chandler just said, so triaging would be like, and I had people do this to my apartments. And I, I know people in Halifax that have had a very successful model doing this. They will go out and rent apartments. Let's say it's a one bedroom for 1700 
They'll then go out and get them furnished on a line of credit from a, a Leon's or a home, uh, what are they called, the brick. They, they'll finance the furniture from them, get them furnished, and then they will Airbnb them out for three, $4,000 a month. They'll handle the cleaning, they'll handle the management, and now they're making two grand a month extra. So that's an option is triaging out those units. The one that I really wanted to explain and I saw recently was financing a trailer, like a camper trailer. Mm-hmm. They offer, in Canada, they offer 10 to 15 years of financing on them. In the States, they go up to 25 years. So you can get a $50,000 trailer that has bedroom space for eight. For eight? For eight. Okay. So four beds for 500 bucks a month. Brand right. new. And then you're, you... And then the there's a ton of platforms online, like Arvezi, Outdoorsy, Going RVing. There's all these different apps now. Interesting. And they, it's no big deal to ask two, two fifty, three hundred bucks a night on a weekend. Three, three fifty. Weekdays, two hundred bucks. You would be surprised how many people will book them for a week, right? Because for me, I want to go out trailer camping, but I'm not going to buy a fifty thousand dollar trailer for the one week of the year that I might go yeah, every three right. years. So I'll give somebody fifteen hundred bucks for that week, even though their payment for that whole month was five hundred dollars. Yeah. And so you get that. You do. And I did some quick numbers. If you buy one. I looked one up right now with 8% interest, the current financing, no down payment. And again, they approve everybody on these things. Um, sleeps eight. It was, uh, let's say, assuming it rented for $250 a day and we got 50% occupancy throughout the year. Okay. That's okay? reasonable. Because yeah. during the summer, I think you'd be fully booked and I think yeah, you'd yeah. get more than $200, $250. Um, that brings in $42,000 a year. Okay. Your payments cost about six and a half, seven thousand dollars $7,000 with tax. Let's say maintenance is another three thousand dollars in cleaning and little supplies. Even yeah. say say eight thousand dollars. So you spend fifteen K to own the thing, you brought in forty two thousand dollars. You just made twenty seven thousand dollars on one trailer on the side. And you're not going with the trailer. Like you are literally receiving this thing at your home or wherever you live, or if you have a little holding yard somewhere, yeah. you're cleaning it and off it goes again. And so you get five or six of these, you're gonna be making an extra couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Right off the hop, a business like that's probably worth about three to four X multiple. So if you do this with five trailers, you make two hundred grand profit in a year, you are already now adding multiple of around six to eight hundred thousand dollars of value in your business. You're almost a millionaire within one year of doing that's, this. Yeah, that's a good point. And a lot of these businesses I wish I'd done these because you know what? These businesses are more scalable without my involvement. And like I see people that do this and they'll have 20 or 30 of these trailers and they'll have a little staff. They'll have an admin that does all the bookings and they'll have a single person that does all the maintenance and cleanings yeah. or a cleaning person and a little maintenance person. And so they, they profit on 20 trailers. They're profiting five dollars $600,000. They have a payroll of two hundred grand. they are making three dollars $400,000 with minimal input. And so that's why I wouldn't necessarily do the sales job that I did again because as a realtor, I'm only making my money when I'm out there selling. Yeah. Right? It's very tough to make money on a secondary person as a realtor. But a business like this, in the short-term game, you can make a ton of money. I've met people who do it with cars. I was in Texas, and I rented a car from one. And he had like 40 cars. And what he did, he had an arrangement with the hotel next to the airport. And so in the back parking lot, they had a gravel space that they never filled up. He had all of his cars. He had a bunch of Hyundai Accents, a million of them lined up. And he'd rent them out for $40 a day. But down there, his, I talked to him. He said, yeah, they're, they're uh, $99 biweekly. But I rent them. For forty nine yeah. to sixty nine dollars a day, right now cars are a little tougher because there's a lot of maintenance items. But a trailer is nice and the because it's mobile. Stuff is like a little bit, a little bit different, obviously. But totally, I think what's interesting about both models, very different though they are, and we didn't talk about this before, so it's kind of, uh, it's curious to hear um, the, I want, the thoughts. Go ahead, Farish. Uh, just, but they're both about two things. One, leveraging, you know, 
money that's not your own, be it financing, you these things to. that you're going you to triage, or uh, someone who has it when you don't, uh, effectively becoming a middle person. That's right? sales. That's what it, every business is. Totally. It's, uh, you know, if I bring you this, like, what is it worth to me? Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you know, need it. You've raised your hand and said, I need this. I will sign on this. And it's like, all right, how do I get, you know, A to B, right, without any real cost to me, and I'm just the facilitator. Um, you, yeah, made, you made a good point. And the thing I'm going to say to that is, like, I think a lot of people think that you need to create something new to make money. And I used to think like that. And I still would or love that you to need do that. The thing. You need to own the thing that you're selling or you're, or you're capitalizing on. You don't necessarily. You can just deliver it. You don't need to own the thing. Leverage is very important to grow a business. Even if you like everyone's like, oh, cash is king, which it can be in some sense. But if you look at the world's largest companies, trillion dollar businesses, billion dollar businesses, all the billionaires on the Forbes 500, they all carry debt. There's not one of those people, I bet you, yeah. that has no debt. And none of those businesses that have no debt, even if they have the cash, like Apple carries debt, but also carries 500 billion in cash. And it's like, they could pay off all their debt, but it's just stupid too. Because if you can borrow money for an X percentage, but make more from it, it doesn't cost you anything, but you yeah. just get profits. Um, so there's that aspect, but the creation of something is, that's how I used to always think, because I watched so much Dragon's Den, and I always always see the news stories of yeah, like... you need a thing. Yeah, you need a thing that's been created. But that world is a mixture of like, obviously, utmost intelligence, tons of hard work, I would say tons of trials and tribulations of doing it over and over and over again and re-improving it. And there's an aspect of luck and timing that you can't necessarily control. Oh and my you, God, the failure rate's 98 Yeah, 98, 97, whatever. It's super high because... There's a million ideas out there and there's so much that goes into making something successful. Um, and again, those stories that you hear online sometimes seem too easy. It's like, well, my kid had a science fair and then he um, designed a mm. sponge and then everybody loved the sponge at the science fair. They wanted to buy it. So we thought, why don't we get 10 of them for $3? And then we sold them all. And then for some reason, Lori Granger and Kevin O'Leary came to the science fair and yeah, yeah. they offered my kid $4 million for 10% equity in his science fair company. And I'm like... Yeah, that doesn't, the guys, that's not going to happen. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so much luck and timing involved in something like that that I don't know um, that it's a replicable, 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 replicable <laughs> <laughs> way of making your first million bucks. And you'll see yeah, people no. that spend their whole lives doing it. Like, you can get also, lucky and hit. Expenditure, hits. like the R&D they have to put into there, like, they have yep. to get personally in debt to mm -hmm. the tune of often hundreds of thousands of dollars and then hope one day to recover not only that, but then some equity growth. And you're so reliant on, I need to produce as many of these and sell as many of these. It's very transactional, uh, as opposed to just facilitating. Again, if this model, you know, if any of these triage models get done correctly, you have very little hands-on and very little actual exposure. Um, you know, for, for example, renting and then re-renting it. Yeah. You can just walk out of your lease almost at any time and you don't own the unit. You exactly. don't have uh, debt on the unit. The leased cars, you terminate your lease at any time. You do not owe forty, seventy thousand dollars. Sell the vehicle. vehicle. Or sell the vehicle if you own it. But honestly, in this model, like you probably don't even need to do short term own leases it. and yeah. everything. It's yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm hundred percent on that. The other thing is you do have to take like on all of this, no matter what you do, your fear of failure has to be low. Whether you're approaching yeah. somebody uh, looking for mentorship, like prepare yourself that a bunch of them are going to brush you off or have nothing for to offer you. Yeah. And you're also going to get rejected by a ton of people. And potentially you might try and do the rental business, but these might not work in your market. 
right? Yeah. Like in a Canadian market, this might be a little more difficult to trailer rental because the winters are not a super ideal time to be doing it. And our it. rules and regulations for stuff. Are and rules cool. and regulations are high and, and this and that. But you got to have that mindset, I think. Um, and don't be afraid to start too small. Like I will say, my first couple businesses, I was marking up cans of paint for 3 to $4 per can of paint. Yeah, I remember that. Like that's where it started. Um, and I was selling... 10 of those a week, 20 of those a week, making yeah. an extra 100 bucks a week or 200 bucks a week, which seems like nothing. But when I was like 18, an extra yeah. few thousand dollars in my pocket at the end of a, of a year or a month made all the difference and it changed my mindset and allowed me to kind of get out there and do more. And the difference would now be probably that you used to have to purchase the cans yep. and then physically resell them one by one. Yep. Whereas today, what you'd probably do is set up a landing page website mm-hmm. that effectively orders were automatically filled from the supplier and shipped directly to the person and you never had to touch it. Exactly. And you never had to actually buy the paint. Because in theory, you could have made a big investment, bought a thousand cans of paint, and yep. if the market turned and you couldn't sell them, you were sitting on a lot of paint. And it happened. Right? Like so the this model, the refined version, is you never even own the paint. Exactly. Right? It just flows through. So um now that's that's cool to hear your perspective. And I do think even though they're so different, there's a lot in common there. Um and it's it's thinking that it took me. I mean, even to this day, I'm still trying to pay for projects out of pocket instead of leveraging yeah, the bank. Right? Like, so we're all learning. We're all in this together. <laughs> this we're guy, all trying to. When we started, Jalen just like I pay for it all cash. I'm like, holy cash bags. Um, but no, it, yeah, exactly. It's always changing, and I'm constantly learning new things all the time. And I think that's the mindset you need to go into it. You're not going to know everything. There's a ton of risk, and it's trial by fire is a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Let us know if you, if you made your first million. I would love to know how you made your first million. Yeah. Um, or if you have an idea or you're starting something now, let us know. And honestly, I've said this to a few people, but if you're out there starting something like this or doing one of these things, uh, we would love to have you come on and tell your story. Ooh, totally. Talk about what you're going through and yeah. you can plug plug your business. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and we can say like people that have come on, will say like they will get a bunch of outreach for people needing whatever they've come on to talk about. Um, so it, it could be a benefit to, to both parties. But, yeah. Hit us up. Let us know what your hustle is. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Check out the Patreon. (laughs) Never stop selling. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.